My name is Anja Rubik and I will be speaking today with one of the biggest, if not the biggest, Polish contemporary artist on this, Mirosław Bałka. And on this note, I'd like to thank the festival for giving me this amazing opportunity for inviting Mirosław here. And it's quite funny because we meet first time face to face on Turkish land to Polish people. Exactly. So thank you for so much for accepting the invitation. Um, Mirosław has been working um, and showing his work all around the world for the last 30 years, um, including um, five times at the Venice Biennale, twice at the Sydney Biennale, San Paolo. He has a very strong relationship with the Tate Modern in London. He's been working them since 95 at the White Cube and many, many other places. His um, work also is owned by the biggest institutions, art institutions around the world, from MOCA to um, MoMA San Francisco to Art Institute in uh, DC. He's also a professor of the Academy of Fine Arts in Warsaw. And you are here today. Yeah. And I've been following your work since... And first of all, I wanted to say that you're a sculptor, you're a videographer, and you work with the medium of drawing as well. And I've been following your work since a while and I was always very interested and inspired by how you are capable of evoking emotion in a viewer through stimulating their senses. You play a lot with senses. You give senses actually a physical existence. You play with temperature, with aromas, with touch, um, also sometimes with cutting certain senses to sharpen others. And that is why I've decided to start this conversation with a piece that you did in 93 called The Soap Corridor. That is all around smell. You said you actually used smell as a material to, to do sculpture with. And that is very, very interesting. I think we have pictures. Or not there. So could you tell us a little bit more about this piece? Yeah, this is the idea of the soap corridor, which came to me for the first time in the Venice Biennial when I represented Poland in Polish Pavilion in 1993, as you said. And uh, the corridor, the idea of the corridor, the corridor was built at the entrance to the pavilion. So it was the first work you have to go through entering to the space. And the idea of the corridor came to me as a space which is between the spaces, which is not the completed space. This is corridor is the space which leads somewhere, in forward or backward, you know. So it only has these two functions. We can go this way or back. And the, the, the width of this corridor was the one meter, 90 centimeters, which is as much as I can spread my hands in space. So... Because and you use that a lot. You use your own measurements in a lot of your work. Yeah, the, the, my measurements help me to, mm, to deal with the space, because this is the dimension which I know the best. So doing the experiment in the space with use of my dimension, I feel safer, and this is a kind mm -hmm. of the 
uh, useful, useful uh, thing. But once I built this corridor, I covered the wall with the melted soap. And this, is, was, this was a very special kind of the soap called white deer, which was produced at the time when I was a child. And I, actually, the production, production is still on. But at the time when I used it, that soap had very strong smell. So the first thing which visitors uh, had experience was not visual, because visually it was a kind of the wall with a little bit yellowish cover, mm -hmm. but it was a very strong smell, the smell which could remind you the soap. I don't know if, if for everybody was it was the, the smell of the soap, but I think for the most of the people it was. And uh, once you talk today about this memory of the smell, I mean, so I thought also about my work, which you mentioned as well, and uh, yeah, because we are using senses in our life very often. I mean, we, our life is built of the senses. So having this uh, smell of the soap in this corridor, I also been thinking about the, the use of the soap in our life. And the first time in life, our body is touched with this piece of soap once we are born. So this is the beginning of our life, the first public product which we meet in our life. And then the bar of soap is also, it can be the last of the public product which we meet after our life. So in some way, we are in the kind of the parenthesis of the soap as a product. So once we are born, we come from the dirty situation, that's why we are washed. Mm -hmm. And then when we, for our departure, we are washed from our life, which was dirty, to be clean somewhere else. So this was entering in this exhibition in Venice. You had this experience when you got clean, going through this corridor to the exhibition space. And after seeing different works, it's not enough time to explain, but the works are in the collection of MOCA in LA, the whole exhibition is in there. Some works were with light, uh, some works were with heat, yeah. which is another thing. But once you experience this works in the exhibition, you have to exit through the corridor. So it was also the chance to clean your body out of this what you see, what you saw. So, saying in few words. <laughs> <laughs> and you use soap also in a, I think we have images. This is still the soap corridor. And this is actually a piece of exhibition that you did in Japan also using the element of, of the soap. Yeah. I, it was called 1050 by 10 by 10. Yeah. These are the measurements of the installation. Exactly. Having this exhibition in Japan, I think for the first time it was 2000-something. I had the idea, um, I invited people, I mean we as a museum, because it was at the National Museum of Art in Osaka, we invited people to 
bring the used pieces of soap with the names who is giving the soaps. So it was quite beautiful because in Japan there is a tradition of packing things. Mm -hmm. So every very used, even very used piece of soap was very precisely packed like the gift box, very small gift box. And with the description, is it given by men or if it's given by women or if it's given by family. And actually we collected three lines of soap and drilling the holes in the pieces of soap when we put it, it on on the steel rope and then we had three lines. And the longest one was the family line, mm -hmm. which you mentioned which had 10 meters and 50 centimeters. Uh, it was long for 10 meters, 50 centimeters. And then we fixed it at the ceiling because the space was very big. And this line was hanging very straight in the space. And in some way, you know, it could be related with uh, Constantin Brancusi sculpture from the beginning of the 20th century, the sculpture, the column, the endless column. And this is something endless in the process of using soap as well. But, you know, we use it, we throw it away. But what was inter interesting for me in this work was the fact that anonymous people who didn't meet before, finally, in this work, they got in their neighborhood very closely, very tight, not knowing each other. And each soap was carrying very personal traces of use. Everybody used it in different way. So it was extremely personal object individually, and then it started to play together on this line, you know. So I think that it was very emotional piece as well for the people who came to see this piece and this very shy Japanese, finally they share something very intimate. Some of the pieces of soap were carrying some hairs mm -hmm. and uh, so it was very kind of very intimate in the public, very fragile uh, piece. That's quite interesting because I really have connected to this piece but for completely different reasons before I found out the history, because I actually, I use soap bars. So every time I realize that the soap bar becomes so little, I kind of have this awakening of time passing. And it kind of hits me really hard. Oh, so, so much time passed that I already used the soap to this little size. Yeah. And I get very, very sentimental about those little pieces and I actually save them. Do so you? <laughs> if you ever so do it in, in Poland, I, well, actually, New York. I have a whole bunch for you. Yeah, but, you know, it's quite funny. I mean, the, the inspiration to make the work came from, uh, uh, from my family collection. I mean, from the collection of my grandmother, who, being experienced by the war, the Second World War, was belonging, as my parents as well, to the generation uh, which doesn't throw the things away. So they were the collectors, collectors of different things which can be used again. So one of the reasons to collect of these used pieces of soap was also to bring them together 
and then maybe try to melt it and make something which will be not very regular, mm -hmm. mixed of different colors, uh, kind of the mm, soap bar, which may be in the extreme situation when it will be lack of soaps yeah. in the shops uh, you could use. And how important is actually the uh, sensory experience in your creative process? Because you told me something very interesting that when you work on your video installations, you used to work with a mini DV and you used a cassette. And then eventually you switched to digital and you used a memory card. And you said that you felt very, very lost without that little element of taking that cassette, taking it out of the box, scrolling it, and that sound and, and that experience was a very important part of the process of, of creation. And then it made that whole situation much more re realistic. And since that was suddenly lacking because you had a, a card, mm -hmm. you couldn't find a way to, to deal with that. You know, I, I uh, grew up in very realistic world, very material world. The world which it was not too many goods, but uh, this lack of goods was working harder than uh, plenty of goods. So one of my first, I mean, my first tape recorder was tape recorder for a very big uh, spools, or how you say in English? Very big. Tapes. Tapes, yeah. And uh, so recording on mini-DV, I also had the sentiment to the kind of the physicality or materiality of this object and because the tape has the length, you know, the tape is the line. So as you see, for example, the line of the soap, which has a parts of a difference. So in the physical way, also the tape, once you straight it or <laughs> strength it, yeah. it has different elements, almost physically presence. And uh, using this memory card, I, I, I got very lost, you know, in being uh, since this, uh, this touch of the object was, was cut from me. But, you know, the tape as a camera is also kind of the, once I recorded my video, you know, I use my camera as a kind of the vacuum cleaner which is also a very physical mm -hmm. object. You know, I select the, the area which I'm going to clean with my camera. So I make the research about the place, or I choose this place. So it's always the, my decision which place I will choose. When I go there with camera, I film things. And uh, when I come back home to my studio, and then I look what, what I recorded, and usually it's the like one hour tape. And then I'm looking what is on this tape. So it's like the, the same like the gesture of emptying the back of the vacuum cleaner, putting the stuff on the, on the clean prepared table or surface, and then looking for things in this dust and dirt. What's something which could be interesting, you know? something maybe what I could lost, something what I can find. And uh, then I pick up very small detail out of this tape. So very often uh, 
It's short for five seconds, which are important for me. Sometimes it can be 30 seconds. But it's always they are very short pieces, short, uh, short bits and pieces, which I later loop. Uh, I'm, I, put, I glue it in the loop. And then, uh, in this way, they got the more three-dimensional uh, presence. Because once you repeat something, like for example, the video which we start with was maybe 20 seconds, but I make the loop of one hour. And then when it's repeated, when something is repeated, 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 it's getting other, much more material presence in the space. It's not linear, linear line which disappear in the landscape. It's something which revolve in front of your eyes and then it's the projection in your head it's, you know it's like the image is tattooing itself in your mind it's not just going through one ear or disappearing the other ear or one eye other eye it's just making the circles you know and in this case it was the sound which was very very impactful yes and the and smoke you, you film a lot of things you kind of film constantly because you also film spaces where you're about to do a show in and you actually did a show based on the films that you did in the spaces where later on you would show yeah this was the last exhibition uh, which title i took from the stories of Georges Perec, the French writer, and it was called The Species of Spaces, which also had the shadow of the presence of Charles Darwin mm -hmm. and his Beatle uh, expedition. But the idea was to show the material which was at the beginning, which is not artistic. So my first visit to the spaces where I'm going to have a show. Because this is a very exciting moment when, when you enter to the space and then you know that in one year you have to make a show. So I using my camera, you know, I just looking at the different corners, checking the height of the ceiling. And then I very often I make a comment to this, like describing this space. So this is the material which is useful for me, but it is not made for artistic reason. It has to help me. But in this exhibition, The Species of Spaces, I make the selection of completely six different spaces, including, for example, Museum of uh, Freud in London, uh, which is a very crowded space. Uh, I confronted this with the space of Gladstone Gallery in Chelsea, New York, which is completely, you know, white cube white garage space. So it was very interesting dialogues between this not artistic works. And because of this dialogue, finally, the exhibition as a total became work of art. However, it was built of the pieces of this video which were not work of art. So this is a little bit like this column, the individual pieces of soap somewhere they are not work of art but once they are collected and with even with such a simple gesture like making the straight line they change the statute so this is how from ordinary object 
how the life of ordinary object can change into the life with the dignity of work of, of work of art. So this is what I think is good. I'm very happy that, that being an artist, that I can give these gestures to the objects which are on the border, on the edge of being thrown away. So this is a gesture of taking care. And I think this is one of my basic uh, responsibilities, being an artist. And where do you go for inspiration? Because very often you name different writers. You name Samuel Beckett, James Joyce. Do you also go into music? Are there any other sources? You know, sources of inspiration are very wide and uh, very completely from different uh, sides, you know. Of course, I went through this. Uh, uh, literature was, was and still is for me important fuel as an artist. I mean, not direct fuel, but fuel which supports my presence. So, you know, from very young years, fascination with Franz Kafka through Joseph, uh, through James Joyce and Samuel Beckett to the poetry of E. e. Cummings, uh, and through the poetry of T.S. Eliot. You know, actually poetry is something which, is, which inspires me a lot. You know, especially, it's a pity that one of the best, in my opinion, Polish poet, Miron Białoszewski, mm -hmm. it's so hard to be translated because his language is too simple and the connection of the words are too unexpected, and also he produced another word, so it's hard to translate him, but, uh, but he, was, he put a lot of uh, influence on me when I was younger. And music, I even don't want to start to talk about music because <laughs> we could uh, end in a couple of hours mm. the conversation about music, but as you see, the inspiration is not only from the, mm, from the top shelves. The inspiration uh, can be from top shelf, but it can be also from under the shelf. So for me, this is very open, you know, very open formula. And you said once that um, you want to create situations um, through your artistic intuition for people to be active, which for me means, in my understanding, I may be wrong, is to kind of engage the viewer in your work. So he's not just a body, but he's actually very, very present. And you did this uh, piece that was called Touch Me, Find Me, where it was a very wide space, and inside the walls you put heaters. So some parts of the walls were heated, and the idea was that the viewer would come in and touch the wall and find the spots that were heated. And that kind of puts a viewer in a completely different situation where normally when you go to a museum or a gallery, you're not supposed to touch things. And suddenly you're put in a situation where you, you have to do something that is normally forbidden. So you have to break that barrier of um, your normal behavior in such a space. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was at Museum Kiasma, Museum of Contemporary Art in Helsinki. And it was quite provoking. Actually, they invite me to make the uh, project in the project room. And uh, the idea came mm, yeah, as a kind of the 
try to, to make the definition of the museum space, which, as you said, museum is about not touching only some parts somewhere in the corner for children. It's more for Relax. children, <laughs> relax, and children can touch, but of course not work of art. But giving this title, because the title was important part, but the visitor knew what is the title, touch me and find me. So there is the offer of touching, which is not very popular in the museum, and there is a, there is a price for it. And uh, the price is the heat. And exhibition was in the cold time in Finland, Helsinki, and usually it's colder than in the other part of Europe in the winter in Helsinki. So once the visitor came from outdoor, this kind of the heat, hidden, it were three spots in the walls in different places, so it was also a kind of uh, uh, price for them that they got it, they got this heat. So it was very also kind of the healing character of this work because you, you found it, you could lean your back That's towards... That's why I saw a lot of pictures of people rubbing themselves in the walls and leaning their back, as you said, and hugging the walls, yeah. which is incredible because it's like an element of you know, some kind of comfort. You know, it's almost the same situation when the baby is born and is taken and, and held very, very close to the mother's chest, to the heat of the body. So there's a very sim similar element there. Yeah, yeah, so it's because, you know, this is also this relation. Who is the visitor? Who is the artist in the art institution? You know, this, the institution touch you. <laughs> you touch institution and maybe institution give you something. And it's also relation of both, visitor and the artist. So, so that's however people enter to completely empty space. Every, it was a very successful project and everybody enjoyed it. But with time, the walls got dirty because of these traces of, of, the, of the winter clothes, so it has to be painted quite so often. So basically created its new art, it, the traces left behind. Yeah. I would like to talk right now about a piece that you did in Rio called the, um, the Cross Corridor. Here it is. And what is really interesting to me, you'll tell us more in detail about this piece, but is that you installed, there were four entries to this piece, and at the entry of each corridor, there was a ventilator installed. So basically, you would enter the piece through this insanely powerful um, force of wind. And that for me is very much connected to, to five senses as well, because suddenly people that are there are becoming aware of their human body presence within that space. And as well, you go through this kind of air cleansing in order to walk through there. Exactly, exactly. And also, uh, maybe we should mention um, the religious character of the sculpture. Yeah. Because religion in general, you've been brought up in a very strict religious home. Yes. So, so the religion is very, very present in a lot of your pieces. Exactly. So once you ask for inspiration, I could also mention the, my visit to the church and the relation with the Catholic uh, religion. 
So, because the Christi Christian iconography uh, became for me very important, especially in the 80s. So, I just immediately started to use the, I was thinking about the exhibition space uh, through the plans of the small chapel, where at the end, after first, you have something for put your hands uh, into the holy water, when you have like mm, confession box, when you have a benches, and at the end you have an altar. So this order of the elements in the exhibition was very often, I used very often basing on the plan of the church. But the cruzamento, the work which we are having here now, uh, was in the relation to the figure, the big sculpture of Jesus Christ uh, standing on the mountain above the uh, beautiful base of uh, Rio de Janeiro. So, but the Christ who is vertical here, the, the, cr the cross was lying down. Horizontal. And horizontal. And as you said, and the entrances were the ventilators and these ventilators also in the relation to the iconography were also represented like kind of the wounds because they were in the place where usually on the cross they are the wounds uh, it were a three four ventilators and five on outside and five on the side related to the mm, corpus of Christi from the side of Christ from the side so the idea was to give the fresh air to the people because I found this place which is next to the museum in Rio and a lot of people were crossing uh, this place so it was a little bit like watching the people crossing you know and then making this uh, listening to, to their movements in this space and then offering them the passages which can be mm, which can give you, which can offer you the colder, colder, strong air. So the people entering to this were touched by strong stream of the air, and actually, this stream of the air, in the symbolical way, was in the place where wounds were. So the people were touched by the wounds, but the, in the positive way. So it was like cleaning through the wounds, so it's like the wounds were necessary to generate the pleasure. And you're also very specific in picking material that you work with. And every, because you believe that every material thing has a very strong memory. And in this case, you actually, there's a very, there's another detail why you picked those ventilators, because they were produced in a very special place. Yeah, actually, these were the, the, the ventilators, the type of ventilators which started to be produced uh, by the company, German company during the Second World War, the company which was involved in the production of the missiles V1 and uh, V2. And, uh, well, I like when the elements which I'm using has a history, so that's why I used this kind of the ventilators because I like when the work of art has uh, many layers of interpretations and depending of knowledge of the visitor 
or goodwill of visitor once he started to read more, I mean, by reading, I mean looking closer to the work, then, then other information comes to you and becoming your relation with the work closer and richer in some way. And the work becomes three-dimensional, even four. The work <laughs> becomes five-dimensional. Five this is also a piece that you later on took and you moved into a museum space. This is still from Rio. Ah. This is the same cross that you actually built based on that just in, into a museum space. Yeah, I, I, I was asked by Kunsthalle in Karlsruhe in Germany to make intervention with the collection of the painting uh, from uh, late Gothic, early Renaissance, North uh, European paintings. paintings. And uh, museum expected that maybe I will, I will reorganize the hanging of the pieces, but with the respect to the professionals who are working in this uh, museum and know much better so I didn't want it to be in the position of the um, newcomer who is uh, changing. I didn't want it to be colonialistic in the attitude to the situation that I'm coming and I'm changing because I know better or now I will show you. So I limited my intervention. It were eight rooms uh, to build the corridor, as you see steel corridor which went through all the rooms so once you entered you go through each room of the exhibition and in the middle of the room it was this strong ventilator and the exits so going through the corridor in the place where there was ventilator you could go left to the room or right to the room so you could see the paintings in the direct way. And the paintings, as I mentioned before, that the type of this painting is very much about the pain. So in very different, painted in different way, quite often in quite primitive way, quite often in much more advanced, like in the case of uh, Grinewald or Dürer or Baldung. So the visitor, being in this space also could feel its own body, you know, because the paintings were very much about bodies, naked body, body in pain. So the basically the ventilators would kind of remind them of their bodily existence. Exactly, exactly. So you knew that yeah. you are the body as well, not only eyes. What was really interesting for me is that you kind of managed to put people within that space in a little bit uncomfortable distance from the paintings because I think you come out of this idea that sometimes it's good to drag people out of their comfort zone put them in a space that is very different or not necessarily out of choice and through that they become more open to new experiences because here you kind of limit their way they see the paintings either they're inside the corridor where the distance is quite large or they're very very close to the painting because there's no other way to walk through was that intentional of course. Of <laughs> course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, but maybe, mm, I, I don't think that the definition I put people in 
-hmm. That's correct, you know, because it's more open, you know. I mean, this is. You, you give I them do it for people, you know, okay. not to be bad for them, but just. But actually, you said this. After this kind of the limits, they got a lot of possibilities, you know. So this but there is there is a lot of things that you know art makes well makes us. Of course, we do it out of choice at the end of the day, but it kind of forces us to step outside of our safety zone. And through that, yeah. thanks to that, yes, please, we discover a very a very new world or new sensations. Yes. Now I want to ask you because there are two very important kind of moments in your career. One of them happened in the 90s where suddenly you kind of changed, um, basically you, you started to, you always had that human presence, human presence in all of your work. Before you had, it was more figurative. And then you moved away from that literal representation of human body to um, to a very slight and very indirect way representation of the body through leaving traces, aromas, smells, temperature. A lot of your work has the temperature of a human body. Or and I was wondering what happened. Well, what was that? What kind of stimulated that change? You know, this change took place at the end of the 80s, and. Uh, I think that uh, I made a lot of figurative works, sculptures of the white male in different contexts, very often in the context of pain, again related with the figures from the Bible like Abel, Cain, Saint John. Most of these works are in the good museums. And, but actually, Working on these figurative works through, like, I made them for three years or something like this. But, but uh, I noticed that I was too good in it. I was too perfect. And I lost the pleasure of doing it. Because the element of surprise, I, by this perfection ensuing, they were sculptures which, which I sued in juta bags, from the old juta bags. But I notice that this um, perfection eliminates the pleasure. So slowly I gave up, and the form, which I, which was the closest uh, to the body, which was the most important for body to disappear, was the shape of the coffin. So. For one of the, I made a kind of the coffin for one sculpture which was called the river, and because the figure was in the shape of swimming men with the crawl, 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 yeah. And so the coffin has also the shape like the, with the extra space for the hand. Okay. So this was like the first step into the not figurative. So the coffin was the object which took away the body. So it's very much like in life, yes? This is the another object which we are transported <laughs> into the other places. But then, beside of the coffin, I started also to use, like, the I make a lot of shelves with the shelves which are in the angle that nothing can stay on, the, on them. So 
it was very Beckettian period, you know, like everything has to fall down, so everything was falling, the body was falling, and the only traces which remains were the, the heat from the heating pillow, or the pile of ashes, the, the pile of salt. So everything that kind of implies a human, basically there are traces because salt is something that is left behind in our sweat, and um, just by our body, any liquid that is produced has little elements of sweat. And tears as well. Tears as well. So NP. <laughs> dry, dry, dry tears, dry sweat, it's salt. And uh, yeah, and so it's I still have a question very human. Because this was this was you said in the late 80s and beginning of 90s. Poland, that kind of art was very very new in Poland because you still you live until now you live in Poland and you create in Poland. And this was the kind of work you would show in Poland as well. W was it understood back then? Because I think that element was, I think would be difficult for, for our curators to understand that, vi that, that kind of movement. Because it was very, very new. You were one of the first, I mean, you were the first one to actually move into that very minimalistic and direct yeah, but, you know, way of sculpture. It, it was not, it was a very progressive change. So it was not, uh, not very fast. It took me one year uh, to do it in the mm, conscious way. But of course, you know, people prefer figures. So the first reaction was, yes, it's okay, but, but I like your figure very much, you know. Because figure doesn't need too much uh, involvement of the visitor. You know, you just see figure, oh, it can be good or bad figure, but it's still figure, and you know that this is a figure. So easily you can recognize or make the... It's for the lazy viewer. Yeah, yeah. But when you have the empty, when you erase the figure, take away the figure from the main stage, then, uh, then people see nothing and they say, okay, but there is nothing in the space, nothing in the room. But, but then I give the signals that you should look at the details, you know, that you should look, you should be more careful. You know, and this is like the lesson because I think we can also use the mm, exhibition space as a platform to for 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 maybe teaching is not good word, but but giving the people possibility of checking their uh, responsibility in the life as well. So yeah, I mean, Poland was not. I was one of the first artists, I mean, beside of the generations of abstract art, which was important in the 60s, 30s, yeah. you know, 70s. But, but my art was never abstract. However, it looked in the first view kind of abstract because it was nobody, so abstraction. But uh, I was saying that, that the shadow of this abstract work is realistic. So it was this relation that finally the shadow represented the presence of the human being. Mm -hmm. The shadow of this works. But the use of the materials, for example, once we showed you the, the work with soaps, you know, in Poland, uh, meaning of soap for many people was very different from the perspective of the Second World War, you know. It was like the materials which 
probably uh, was the product which was used, uh, which was produced from the fat of killed Jewish citizens, of, of I mean Jewish prisoners of the camps. So many people just said, how can you do the work with soap when it's about Holocaust in such a direct way? But then my answer was, I mean, once you, when you wash your hands in the morning, do you think about Holocaust? You know, so, but this is, I think, the discussion for... A very long. For very long, so I'm afraid that... Uh, but maybe this is we what just is really fascinating in your, in your work, because if you enter a room and there's everything is already said and shown in front of your eyes, you don't have to think much. Once there are little elements, that are there, it kind of simulates different memories and simulates different experiences. So every time a person goes and visits your work, they could have a very different interpretation of, of you know, the piece. Yeah. Is that a problem? Or do you love that the idea that people have different relationships? Because obviously, you work with a certain idea, and then there is an experience created. But the experience is very individual. You're not creating an experience. You're creating. You have an idea. So do you have a, um, is that something you actually enjoy when people come out and tell you what their experience was when even sometimes it's very contrary to what you were trying to say? I love to it. Say? I love when the interpretation is different than mine. You know, I just prepare a platform for interpretations. And then uh, I think this is great when everybody has a different interpretation of something. You know, this is not, we are not talking about uh, uh, military vehicles, you know, we talk about feelings, emotions, uh, reactions. So everything is, uh, each is different with which of us. So, so I'm really happy when the interpretation even is completely 180 degree different than mine. Then you also do a lot of work where you engage volunteers to be part of it. And I think this is the next work. No, this is still the previous. Th these are the ventilators up there, right, that you mentioned? Yeah. This is another work. This was, yeah, but this was the work about dividing the space. It was in White Cube in Mason's Yard called Above Your Head. So what was above, you were under, because also it was very Beckettian situation that you are under something, under the pressure. That's what's very much representative for our presence today, that we are under something, you know, under the yeah, pressure of time. Yeah, that's very interesting, because when we spoke, um, when we spoke uh, the first time on the phone, and you said that while well, on Skype, you said that our generation is under extreme pressure, and it's very hard for our generation to exist and find themselves. Especially your generation, because my generation <laughs> experienced a uh, much more comfortable time. In the 80s, we were not under such a pressure. You know, the world was going kind of the good direction, that's what we thought. You are under the big pressure, <laughs> yeah. And how do you, because you work with the young students that are, you know, growing artists. How do you see that? Wh why do you think that is? Because no. in one way you can see everything is open and available and everything is... When you started, when you 
got out of school and started to work, it was even very, very hard for you to find the most basic materials to, to work with. To yeah. find clay was, you would steal it from school, as I remember, kilo by kilo, in order to build a sculpture. And yeah. um, I was wondering, why do you think that is nowadays, when everything is so accessible? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I am quite happy that I've been in my, actually I don't use the term my time because since we are alive, our time is our time, yes? <laughs> so it's not sometimes people say in my time was good, but uh, we are alive. So it's always we are carrying our times. We mix our times, but we are always living our times. But yeah, I mean, teaching, actually I started to teach as I understood this kind of problems which student can have, or young people can have, and I'm trying to be a kind of the healer to support them with the wise advice and the care, almost like the father, because I see what's going on, you know, with the market, which is, when I finished academy, I mean, nobody was interested in the young artist, you know, you could wait till you be 35, then maybe 40 and then somebody put attention to you. So it was completely no future time. You know, you finished academy and nobody put any attention to you. Nowadays, this attention exists, but this attention is so aggressive that it's instead of helping the young people, it hurts them. It hurts their emotions, you know, they start the competition when they are close to the diploma time. You know, they, they are afraid what they will do. And the offer, however, the offer exists, but the offer is very commercial. So, so the problem, so they are not thinking about being, doing works of art or, you know, just enjoying art, but they are just thinking how to find the right place on the right shelf, you know. And, and I think it's very... It is so very you think that way of thinking kills creativity? Exactly, instead of opening. So this is a case when the possibilities close mm -hmm. the activity mm -hmm. instead of opening, you know. Well, this is a piece, part of a piece called Hush. This is actually before you would enter to the gallery. And Hush is all around, I guess, the subject of death because you had, you collected um, obituaries from a local newspaper yeah. and then you cut them with, with women, I mean with people, volunteers that were involved. You cut them in the, into these long stripes and then glued them together using bone glue and created this incredible chain. And you hang this chain all, ar all around the gallery. And so it was the idea of, of you know, well, there's a lot of ideas, but... Yeah, I mean, it, it, the character of the work was also about being united in a different context. You know, it was similar thought as a little bit as the... the soaps. Of the soaps, yeah. Because the people that died, actually, it's completely random who is next to who within the chain. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the I always was fascinated by the mix of the names and the unexpected neighborhood of the names uh, on the pages of newspaper with obituaries, you know. It doesn't matter if you like somebody or not, you know, just by the editor in newspaper, depending on the time when you 
publish when you order this obituary you are placed in, in the kind of without special order so uh, but making this chain i i just wanted to mm, to escape from this flatness of this information i wanted to give the, the material body to this information about death as obituaries carrying and chain is also about people who can it's about fact that the single chains are united yes so this is the gesture of uh, being together but also the chain has a meaning like being kind of the oppressive and this is uh, kind of the oppressive side of the death in some way but uh, but this work was about Shash. So it was about silence after death and what was interesting in this work was the fragility and as you mentioned the use of the bone glue, this, this glue made of the bones of the animals, it's, it's making the, it made these newspapers chain very hard. So like the body hardens when you die. Yeah, so even the little bit wind coming from the doors which were entered gave the sound of very gentle and sound. And there was a lot of wind because you, what you did is you drilled holes through the walls and this exhibition was in the winter so that the cool air would come in. So the moment you would walk into that room it was very, very chilly so you could also feel the presence of, yeah. of death. It was like the good piece of poetry by Thomas Stern Eliot from the Wasted Land uh, when he described April for example when he started with description of April as the cruelest month of the month of the year. Mm -hmm. And this was not the entire piece because in front of the gallery actually there was this celebration in a way. These were people from a circus. That yeah, yeah. I wanted to make, because I always try to make with the mm, materials which are completely in the opposition. So the fire, the people who blow the fire, you know, they could burn the whole exhibition in uh, one minute, you know, if they throw it, this fire, into, into the room. But, uh, uh, but the idea to, 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 to bring these guys with the, with the fire out of their mouth was also that it was the Ash Wednesday. Mm -hmm. so, so it was a kind of the perverse game with this Catholic very important holiday. But looking at this uh, chain, now I see another context of the work, you know, that from the distance, when you enter to the space, you just see the, the you just saw the, the chain, which looked like the cheap decoration which children could make, you know, for the deco decoration for of the Christmas or, or the room for the, for the party. And, but once you look closer, then you see what is this pieces, elements of chain are made of and from this banality and this uh, playful character has been changed into a kind of the, you know, this is a serious information out of this funny gestures of, of mm -hmm. in the space, so it changed a lot. So. And earlier I mentioned that there are two, um, two kind of breaking or changing points in your career. We already spoke about the first one and the second one was um, much later when you were 31 years old and you found out that 
the city where you, Otvosk, where you lived and where you also still have a studio, the city where you spent all your, you know, from childhood. Um, in 42, during the world, Second World War, 8,000 Jews were taken, put on a train, taken to a concentration camp and evacuated, I mean, ex executed. And you felt that, you said that you felt this kind of guilt of the lack of knowledge, that you felt very, very embarrassed that through 31 years, being in that little town, you did not have that information. And since then, that subject, subject of Holocaust, became a very, very significant uh, theme within your work. Yeah, yeah, but I think, I'm afraid, but once we start to talk about it, we will not go any farther because this is very important and very, it's a very heavy subject. So what you said is very true. And maybe let's just leave it like this and we can make a chapter to okay. of our conversation so because it's really... Let me ask another question. I don't know how far we are in... Uh, how, how we look with time. I do not know. If can anybody tell Are us? you trying to get out of this question? <laughs> I think you are. Why don't I ask another question? Um, this but was when oh you were... Oh yeah, this is Ash. <laughs> <laughs> I have another question then. Because this, this happened over 20 years ago. And you've been you know, touching the subject of Holocaust multiple times. I mean, in most of your work nowadays. Do you, um, do you f still feel that need of, of kind of not apologizing, but do you still feel that guilt somehow? Yeah, I, I deal with this guilt, you know, guilt of uh, lack of information, you know, and also the fact that, you know, imagine in one day uh, from the city which has 15,000, 8,000 is disappearing. And so it's like the half of the city, more than half of the city is becoming empty. And it happened, happened in '43. Uh, and, you know, Poland was very, in Poland, this information was not even official information uh, in '43, Not information in the, in the school, nobody's been talking in the family. And I noticed that I live just one street away from, from the ghetto. So, so I slowly collected this information. But actually, in Poland till 1989, actually yesterday, we celebrated the 25th anniversary of the free, first free election in Poland. But till 89, the information was very hidden and it was very, the, the history was very broken and uh, official history was completely crazy based on the Soviet concept of the history, uh, Soviet Union concept of the history. So mm, slowly after 89, uh, small leaking started, you know, leaking of information. So, so I've been collecting, collecting this information and once I collect them enough that, uh, and I knew that I'm ready to start to talk about Holocaust, because Holocaust is not such an easy word. You know, once you say Holocaust, you cannot just say next, uh, I mean, the, and the next word you say after this word, it's already touched by this word. So that's very, 
very fragile subject, you know, and uh, and it's interesting that once I made few works which were more directed to Holocaust after this uh, mostly video works. Many we have actually one of the videos we can play. Many people, many people started to see all my works through the prismat, from the perspective of Holocaust. So now, if I make anything which is not related to Holocaust in the direct way, everybody interpreted in very direct way, it's about Holocaust. Mm -hmm. I mean, some, quite many, my video works, like for example this one, Winterreise Bambi, this is the shooting from, from uh, Auschwitz-Birkenau. Mm -hmm. So, having this small camera, you know, I've been traveling to the places, and this were a kind of the visit of the pilgrimage. So, as a beginning, when we start, and I told you about this vacuum cleaner function of the camera, so, so this was, for example, this is a sample of this, what we've been talking about, because on the winter day, I jump into the train to Krakow, Auschwitz, and then I went to this... Brzezinka. Uh, Brzezinka, Birkenau. And I didn't expect that I will find these little deers there. And it was the moment, very, very close moment, so my hand was shaking, you know, because I, it was such a moment completely unexpected, that I didn't want these little animals to escape, so, so it was very, very short shooting when they escape. But, but the whole journey was worth, you know, the whole day of journey was worth of this 15 seconds of seeing these uh, animals behind the barbed wire of uh, Birkenau. And so, for example, the explanation of the title, Winter Riser, this is what I already did, yes. And it was kind of the relation to, to Franz Schubert's uh, songs, Winter Riser, the songs about the pain of love, uh, of uh, being in love, falling in love, you know, not, not in a successful way. And this was for me very pervert relation with the place when nobody asked these people who died about their tears, their pain, how do they feel, how many of people who they loved, they lost. You know, so that's why I use this uh, winter rise as a part of the title. And the second part was called Bambi. And the Bambi, it was the figure from the Disney, character from the Disney movie. And actually, actually uh, Bambi was produced in 1942, and, and this was just behind the Wannsee Conference in Germany in January 42, when the decision about the final uh, extermination of Jews in Europe uh, was made. So, when the people have been crying in America, watching Bambi, how lonely Bambi is, at the same time, in real way, the people were, with thousands, millions, were exterminated. So that's why, in some way for me, this is a kind of the memorial. Mm -hmm. However, it's just short video, but this is 
for me, this could be the memory, one of the memorials of the Holocaust. And then I think we are running out of time, so I might yeah, we can skip yes. Cure of Pain and go straight into um, how it is. Are you still capable of experiencing your own work? Can you walk through your work and actually have be stimulated and, and have a, an experience? Or is it something that you've been working on, on the idea for so long that you have a sort of detachment to it? Or can you actually experience, for example, how it is? Does yeah, it mean, still evoke emotions and, and, and thoughts? It was very much about emotion, that's peace, you know. But of course, uh, you know, the, I had some expectation from this situation, because maybe we should tell. Actually, first I have to say that it was work without music. So, yes, you <laughs> this didn't is have the interpretation the of the Guardian. So it was silent. I mean, the only sound was produced by the people. And uh, the place, Tate Modern, Turbine Hall, as the place in uh, London, which is one of the most crowded places, because that's the gallery which entrance to the space, main spaces, is for free. So people are crossing Millennium Bridge from the St. Paul's Cathedral, taking millions of the good photos from the bridge, the photos of the good quality of the Thames River, and they enter to the space completely not prepared for concentration or for contemplation. And uh, for me, this sculpture was a kind of the game with these people. Because when they enter, as you could see, they came to the back of the work. So it was a huge steel container, about 30 meters long, 50, 15 meters high, and 10 meters wide. That's big. Uh, 
So people came from the back and they had to walk along the sculpture and for 30 meters, so it's quite a lot. And during this walk, they got familiar to the silk construction. They could see that this is a kind of the safe, you, you know, it's like watching the big animal and then you, are, you see that's the animal, it's big, but this is just animal. But then once they enter to the entrance, which was on the other end, they, were, they stood in the front of the dark space, completely dark space. And then this objective walk and the, the comfort in mind, which you already had, was confronted with the discomfort of darkness. Usually people are afraid of the darkness. So you stood in this moment, in this threshold of making decision. Shall I enter or not? And quite few people didn't enter. The ones who entered, they also had the different reactions. But and the inside of, of this huge, um, huge space was lined with flock, which is a type of a velvet that completely kills um, sound and, and, and any, any light. So it's the complete close, darkness. Especially light. And then touch is very pleasant. Yeah, the touch is like our, our armchairs. So that was also a very big surprise because you see this huge metal, cool, unpleasant, yeah. you know, structure, but then once you enter it, it ha it's actually quite soft and pleasant in touch. Yeah, yeah, so it was a gesture for the ones who, t who wants to touch, because quite few, quite many people didn't touch, but the ones who touch, they got this positive surprise, oh, that's nice. So it was... So reward <laughs> again. So it's again, <laughs> yeah, it's about risks. touching, you know, but you should try to touch, you know, and then, then, then you can be positively surprised. But this piece generated uh, different emotions, you know. Some people were afraid, but some people, they found, uh, they found closer to each other being in this darkness. And completely disappearing in the darkness, because we see in the video that the moment you would walk, the further you got, you would completely disappear. Yeah, but, but then, you know, the eye had the possibility to adjust to the darkness. So after some while, you already saw more. But it was always the possibility in this work, you could walk to the end for this another 30 meters, but back in this darkness, the 30 meters which you first made in the objective light, then you could make this another walk for till the end of this box and then touch the end. And, uh, but it was always the possibility for the body just to turn. And once you turn, you see some light. So it was a hope. So it was not like the situation of the small room when I bring you in, the walls are painted black and then you, you know, when you, uh, there's no hope. Hit with Here the other and <laughs> then fall down. It was not about this. It was about the gesture of and the decision. If I'm strong enough or if I want to do it. But then it was the doors were widely open. So it was possibility of exit as well. So I think it was quite interesting game. And uh, many people started to use the flashlights of the mobile phones and uh, some, some of the curators said that it's, it shouldn't be legal, it sh they shouldn't do it, 
but, but uh, I thought, let's do it. I mean, everybody should react in its own way. If you, if you, uh, if you want to switch on the flashlight, it's okay. Actually, it was the time, it was 2009, so the flashlights were not so easy, not in every mobile phone, and not so close to just start them. So, but, but it was quite nice view with these people trying to light, or with the flashlights, trying to make the photo. It looked a little bit like kind of the purgatory, you know, like people are in the stage in between, you know, and they're trying, and it shows these limits of our possibilities of lighting the world in some way, because we are not able to, to light the, the, the whole space, but we are just lighting the area nearest to us. And I can imagine that, unfortunately, I would... Thank you. It's oh. finished? Time? <laughs> oh, okay. I can imagine that being in such a very, very dark space was that intentional because they walk through this bridge that is very loud and colorful and they're, you know, all their senses are simulated basically and then you suddenly walk into this darkness that is quite quiet, I would imagine. So you, suddenly your other senses are being sharpened but at the same time, because you don't have that exterior stimulation, you suddenly focus on your inner self and your breathing and, and your, present, your presence within that space. Yeah. Of was course. that intentional or was it just mm, no i mean this layers like this of it came you know later later because that's my question actually because you pick every single material that you work with it's so precisely picked and the idea is very very structured and built um do these things kind of come by accident or, or are they very, very planned all those centrally? Because there's w this one piece that you also did, which was a corridor where you would walk on white salt. It was a piece that you made in France. And what for me, what was really, really interesting is walking on the salt, the sound that you would make while walking on the salt. And I was wondering whether that was intentional or was that completely accidental? You know, the choice is intentional but I don't know the final results. But, but I have the kind of the mm, intuition which is also connected with my experience uh, that, that this, is a good, this will be an interesting solution for experience, for another experience. But I don't know the final results. Like, for example, this work which is called How It Is. And uh, because I couldn't make the model, so also I was dealing with uh, with something which I had to believe to myself that it will work. So building such a big work at the turbine hall it could be total disaster, mm -hmm. because maybe it could didn't work. You know, the light could go in, and we spend so much money building something like this. So it's always this kind of the risky side which you cannot say in 100% how it will work, but this is kind of interesting moment when till the end, till the end you don't know. And then there is a moment when, when, when you have this feel this satisfaction that something that what you did, that, that, that your concept was right in some way. And then it's, this is very great moment, you know, when, you, when the work which you made works. So at the end, I'm going to go back to my s uh, question because I'm really interested in it. C if you enter that, that sculpture, 
are you capable of having different emotions every time or is it so thought through and it's your idea that you kind of treat it just as, a, as an object or, Me? or yes no no every time I enter the world so you I are capable of experiencing your own work yeah i saw another movie and sometimes it was a thriller sometimes comedy but it was always different also depending of the company of the others yeah. You know, sometimes the children been running like crazy and been bumping the wall at the end. And uh, sometimes I saw the older people kissing each other, you know, using this discreet space for sharing their emotions. So I think it was good, dark room in the middle of the objective world. The dark room which generated also positive energy. Thank you so much. Are there any Thank questions you. in the audience? Probably we, are, we, we no. spoke for <laughs> a long time. <laughs> I think they long. know more than they wanted to know. <laughs> we lost in time. So. Okay, all right. Well, thank you. Okay, thank you.